Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hey there, I hope you are having a really great day. I'm your host, Elizabeth Benton, and today we are going to be talking again about dietary fat. And I've done a few different episodes on this. So for some of you who have been listening from the start, there's going to be some repeat information. But you know, I continue to get a ton of questions about how much fat, what are the best sources of fat, how do you know when you've gone too far, and everything in between, myths about cholesterol. So I want to hit some of the highlights about dietary fat and then talk practically speaking about how to incorporate more fat into your diet, what some of the benefits are and how you can expect to feel when you add more fat, and some different ways that you can monitor and adjust and make sure that you don't overdo it. Because you can overdo it with absolutely anything, whether it's a whole food, a healthy food, or not. A few weeks ago, I hosted a live webinar, and at the end, I was taking listener questions. And one question kind of made me chuckle, but I quickly realized how serious the issue is. And this, this woman said, I am afraid to eat fat. I don't want all those extra calories. What should I do? And I answered her, literally. I said, if you're afraid, don't eat it. I'm afraid to eat spiders, so I won't. I mean, honestly, like if something is making you scared and you are so feel so strongly about it, you say, I'm afraid to eat fat, well, focus on other whole foods. Like, don't create anxiety, but at the same time, inform yourself. Make sure that you aren't basing your feelings or your decisions on misinformation, right? Does that make sense? I don't like spiders. I am afraid of spiders, so I'm not going to eat spiders, right? And I've put a lot, I know that cheeky, but I've put a lot of information out about calorie counting, why it's misleading, and not only that, how very, very important quality fat intake is for your energy, for your mood, for satiety or feelings of fullness, for hormone balance and fat loss, just health in general. So if you're legit scared, okay, no need to get like PTSD over it, don't eat it. But at the same time, I do think we need to make sure that we all are operating from a basis of good information, solid information, not myths and misconceptions, because I think that 99% of those comments come from myths and misconceptions. So I want to talk about what fat is, why it doesn't make you fat, And I'd also like to clear something else up. The fact that eating paleo or primal or whole foods does 
not mean a high fat diet. Uh, a gentleman messaged me the other day on Facebook and said, I know you advocate a high fat diet and then went on to ask a question and I responded and I said, I, I actually do not advocate a high fat diet, nor do I advocate a high protein diet, nor do I advocate a low carbohydrate diet, but really a high quality diet, right? And moderation in all things and finding what works for you to help you reach your goals. Can you make high fat choices and create a high fat diet with whole foods? Absolutely. At the same time, can you moderately consume fat? Sure. And you can eat whole foods and eat very, very low fat, right? For most people, I certainly do not advocate all the bacon, all the butter, all the coconut oil, right? But I do think that most people benefit from quality fats incorporated in moderate amounts with each meal and snack. That does not mean slathering butter on top of cream cheese with a side of bacon and a glass of heavy cream, just so we're all on the same page. So fat is a macronutrient. It is named the same as body fat, but that's basically it. They share the same name. They are very different things, okay? So fat is a macronutrient, just like protein is a macronutrient and carbohydrates are macronutrients. Fats are made up of building blocks of fatty acids, okay? And fats are absolutely, positively, 100% required. You must consume fat for health, for performance, and for hormone balance. And because hormone balance dictates our ability to burn fat, fats are required for fat loss. We get freaked out, though, when we think of fat as a high-calorie food, because fat does contain more calories per gram than protein or carbohydrate, right? Fat is more calorie dense, but like I've suggested before, we need to think about this differently. Now, when we compare fat, protein, and carbohydrate, there's no arguing that fat contains more calories, more than twice as many calories per gram as protein or carbohydrate. So a gram of carbohydrate contains four calories. A gram of protein contains four calories, and a gram of fat contains nine calories. And that's where people get like, oh my gosh, no, I'm adding in more calories, blah, blah, blah. But we're thinking about it wrong, okay? Just a reminder, I know a lot of you have heard this before, Calories are a unit of measurement, okay? They're how we measure the energy potential within a food, okay? So calories don't just like pile up like little gremlins underneath your waistband. They're a unit of measurement like inches or miles or anything like that, okay? Measuring energy potential. So if we go back to the fact that a gram of fat contains nine calories, whereas a gram of protein or a gram of carbohydrate only contains four, that means that fat delivers twice as much energy to our bodies as does protein or carbohydrate, which I view as a very, very good thing because when I consume quality fats, I can fuel my body for longer on less than if I just stuck to protein or carbohydrates. I'm giving my body super high quality fuel, super dense fuel that is going to sustain me for longer doing more things than protein or carbohydrate, right? 
When we consume high quality fats, the body senses this very rich fuel source and therefore it doesn't deploy these signals that trigger hunger and cravings when we eat fat as readily as it does when we eat other things. So fat helps us to feel full, it sustains our energy, and it reduces hunger and cravings. I don't know about you, but that's why I get really excited about making sure that I get enough fat. You guys know that when I work with my one-on-one coaching clients, I monitor what they eat every day through this shared document that we work with together. And inevitably, when they are ranking energy low or cravings high, typically they are not eating enough fat. And when I point that out and they make the adjustment, they feel better almost immediately, okay? And when we think about gaining weight or adding to our body fat storage, right, our hips getting wider, our belly getting bigger, that is not about fat versus protein versus carbohydrate, right? It doesn't mean that extra dietary fat gets stored as fat, but extra protein and carbs don't get stored as fat because they aren't fat. It doesn't work that way. Excess fat is stored in your body when there is an energy surplus, when you are consuming more fuel than what your body needs. That's it. When you consume more fuel than your body needs for operations, the extra is stored. Now, it can be stored as muscle in the right conditions, but most of us don't have that predisposition. We're not that active. We're not requiring that much of our muscle mass. It is converted to and stored as fat, whether it's protein, whether it's carbohydrate, or dietary fat. We absolutely, positively, 100% have to eat fat if we want to be healthy, right? In my interview a couple weeks ago with Mary the Paleo Chef, she was talking about the reason she starts her day with fat and the reason she insists that all her clients start their day with fat is because it jumpstarts your brain. Your brain is about 60% fat, six zero. Okay, so in addition to being a great fuel source, It's a critical component for cognitive health, and fat is a component of every single cell in your body, okay? And fats are required. We have to eat them so that our body can manufacture hormones and utilize vitamins and and antioxidants. We kind of lose sight of the fact that Food is more than just nourishment in terms of energy and being able to focus and get through the day. Food provides your body the raw materials it needs for absolutely everything that happens in your body. So if you think of your body as like a construction site where there's all this regeneration and repair and construction going on all the time, what you put into your mouth, that's the raw materials used for construction and fat is absolutely positively required. You need fat for the growth and calcification of your bones, for your skin health, for your immune system and your inflammatory response. It's absolutely necessary for vision. Fat is required to make the receptor sites for dopamine and serotonin. Dopamine and serotonin are our primary mood regulators. And if we don't have enough fat, then we don't have enough receptors for those things. So we end up feeling depressed or down or just kind of blah in a fog, right? 
We absolutely have to consume fat so that we can metabolize our fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin D and A and E and K. Those vitamins can only be metabolized in the presence of dietary fat. That's why they're called fat-soluble vitamins, okay? They have to be carried, delivered, processed in the vehicle of fat. So we have to eat it, okay? Plus, dietary fats, the fats that we eat, influence our blood pressure and blood clotting, right? So many things. It is a major misconception that dietary fat makes you fat, okay? And I love what Mark Sisson from the Primal Blueprint says about this. Listen, because we can get a little lost in the words and miss the meaning, and I don't want anybody to miss the meaning, okay? So tune in with me for just one second. In large amounts, right, when we consume dietary fat in the presence of large amounts of carbohydrates, then the body is going to turn to the carbohydrates for energy and kind of leave that dietary fat unused because it doesn't, it's not its preferred fuel source. And so your body isn't going to dip into your body fat for stored energy, but dietary fat in the presence of low dietary carbohydrates, more moderate to low levels, makes it much easier. Your body naturally defaults to using that fat as fuel. And that is the premise of this primal way of eating. We want to follow what I call the golden rules of carbs and fat loss so that we set our body up, as Mark Sisson explains, to more readily turn to our stored body fat for fuel. You go into storage mode, storing body fat from what you eat, putting on weight, when you consume more fuel than your body needs, period. Whether it's carbs, protein, or fat, you set yourself up for that. Yes, there's no question that fat is more energy dense, so it makes it so that you can overdo it faster, so that you can more quickly put yourself in a position where you're consuming more fuel than what your body needs. But here's the flip side of that. Fat is very satiating. Fat will make you feel fuller faster, okay? Carbohydrates don't do the same thing. You could easily envision yourself overdoing it on pretzels, right? They just kind of like poof, disappear. Carbohydrates don't trigger satiety in the same way that protein and fat does. So when we really build our diet around quality protein, quality fats, and lots of vegetables, we get to that satiety factor much faster. And so what I see with my clients when we initially start working together is very quickly they go, wow, I'm just really not as hungry anymore. And they went from a place where they just seemed to munch all day and eat and snack and always be grazing or looking for the next thing or thinking about the next meal to all of a sudden one day going, oh my gosh, I went six hours today. I didn't even think about food. And that is a very, very common reaction primarily to adding more fat, okay? Another major myth in addition to fat making you fat, is that eating fat is going to elevate your cholesterol and quote unquote clog your arteries. Now, let me start by making it very clear that early studies that initially suggested that dietary fat raises cholesterol were done on rabbits. Now, what is wrong with this other than the obvious fact that humans are not rabbits? But here's the big thing. Rabbits are herbivores, okay? They eat plants. They don't eat animals. Humans are not herbivores. Humans 
are carnivores. Rabbits are not designed to tolerate animal protein. So if you feed a food to a species that doesn't have the machinery to metabolize it, um, yeah, real common sense here, you're going to have problems, right? But it's like you can't say, well, if you feed meat to an herbivore, it raises cholesterol. So we should assume that feeding meat to a carnivore would do the same thing. That's not true. We are equipped as humans not only to metabolize cholesterol and use it for repair, for good, for necessary function in the body. We are also, humans have innate machinery to manufacture cholesterol regardless of how much we eat and to recycle it. That is how important it is. Our body has built-in machinery to recycle cholesterol. That's how it is so critical to us human folk, okay? So let's take a look here at what actually does elevate cholesterol, because there's no arguing that high cholesterol and vascular disease is a significant epidemic with the standard American diet. But cholesterol is actually a healing substance. It is a healing substance. And I've told you before that Nora Gadaugas, uh, author of Primal Body, Primal Mind, refers to it as the duct tape of the human body. Cholesterol is the duct tape of the human body. And it's so, so, so true. So when there is damage within the body due to inflammation, so something goes wrong, there's an inflammatory response, Healing substances in the body are sent to the site of the damage to repair, okay? That makes sense, right? There's damage. Our body naturally deploys that duct tape, cholesterol, okay? It goes there and new cells are created to go to that damaged site and help heal it. Your body has the capability to generate new cells and deploy cholesterol for healing. So at the site of the damage, at the scene of the crime, you will see fat and cholesterol, okay? So when you're doing, say, um, an autopsy and you're studying a dead body and you're looking at where there's vascular damage and you see all this dietary fat and cholesterol, people wrongly conclude that the fat and cholesterol caused the problem. No, it actually didn't. It was sent there to repair. The problem is that the standard American diet, and I use the word American kind of loosely because it is a more global issue than that, but processed foods, sugars, all that sort of stuff, wheat, grains, gluten, it puts the body in a state of constant inflammation, constant internal damage. So with every time the fork passes our lips, we are doing damage inside our body, whether we feel it or not. So fat and cholesterol and new cells, where the component of all the new cells is fat, right? They're constantly being sent out to repair damage, and that damage is never allowed to heal. So we have deploy, 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 but we're never allowing healing because we're never addressing what's causing the issue to begin with. So the fat and cholesterol get the blame because they're at the scene of the crime. And I've heard it explained this way, which I think is brilliant and I've shared with you before. Cops go to the scene of a crime, right? So then we do we say, oh, well, if we just relieve, remove all the cops, then there would be no crime. Of course not. And, but, and as ridiculous as that sounds, that is exactly the same as the argument people make against fat and cholesterol with high cholesterol, high serum cholesterol, and arterial disease. 
The true culprit that we need to address what is driving this chronic inflammation and damage and disrepair within the body, one of the most common causes is the poor dietary choices and the diet rich in carbohydrates and processed foods. These foods create a constant state of high insulin, which triggers a stress response and an inflammatory response. So instead of limiting dietary fat and cholesterol, which is impairing your body's innate ability to heal, we need to focus on what is causing the damage to begin with. And a great starting point for that is reducing or ideally completely eliminating wheat, grain, and processed foods. Cholesterol is actually the good guy. Yeah, it is found at the scene of the crime, but it's there to fix stuff. Cholesterol is so critical, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, that every cell within the human body is equipped to produce its own cholesterol. So then you might be asking, well, why do we need to eat it if we can make it on our own? Well, it's actually a very intensive resource kind of project. It's not easy for your body to make it. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of resources. So it's not a very efficient process. But what happens is when your body notices a lack of cholesterol consumption through food sources, it upregulates cholesterol production from your cells. Again, that's a very inefficient process. It takes a lot of energy and resources from your body to do that. So you sort of put your body into cruise control and you allow it to do other more important tasks when you consume enough cholesterol, okay? Now, when you consume enough cholesterol, your body naturally downshifts its innate internal production of cholesterol, okay? Plus, the liver is designed to recycle it so that we can get as much use out of it as possible. And in human breast milk, there is a special enzyme that makes sure that infants can absorb as much cholesterol from the breast milk as possible, okay? Now, there are some people that are what are called hyper responders to cholesterol, Okay, so they need to be very careful about their their fat intake, their cholesterol intake, because their body doesn't regulate that production as much. But here's the thing. When you cut out the crappy fats from processed foods and you really emphasize whole foods and you select moderation in all things, even these hyper responders find themselves in very safe harbor. If you want to be healthy, I mean, I think we're all here because we do. I don't believe that anybody is listening to this podcast, you know, trying to treat their body like a garbage disposal. But if you want to be healthy, if you want your body to function optimally, if you want your immune system to be strong, here's my two cents. Eliminate first the cause of damage within your body. Cut out the processed foods. Cut out the wheat products. Focus on whole foods, quality fats, good lean proteins, right? And focus on moderation in all things. Don't think you're doing yourself any favors by cutting cholesterol or limiting your fat intake. The real culprit is inflammation, and the primary drivers of inflammation are poor food choices and chronic stress. So how do you know if maybe you would benefit from eating more fat? Here are just a quick little list of some signs that you might need to eat more fat. Number one, lack of mental focus. Two, low energy or feeling kind of drained and dragging. Number three, dry skin or dry hair. Number four, impaired performance during your workouts, not not feeling like you really have it all to give. 
Number five, low levels of HDL, the high density lipoprotein. Or number six, if you are a regular drinker of alcohol, it is really important to make sure you're getting enough quality fat if you're a regular drinker because that dietary fat helps to protect your liver when your liver's working really hard to metabolize and neutralize that alcohol. So from a practical implementation standpoint, how in the world do you incorporate more fat? Well, it's a lot easier than it looks, and I'm not talking about eating sticks of butter. I have so many people that are like, I just don't feel right about having four tablespoons of butter at every meal. Yeah, me neither. And I'd never recommend that, right? That's not what we're talking about. As a starting point, make sure that you're getting fat at your meals and your snacks, right? If you're thinking that a healthy balanced meal is grilled chicken breast and steamed broccoli, you are really, really missing out on a crucial, crucial element. There's no fat there of note, okay? If you're doing egg whites and veggies for breakfast, you really want to add in the fat. Do not fear the yolk. So at breakfast time, a good way to incorporate fats is either Bulletproof Coffee, which I've done tons of episodes on and blogs on. I'll link to those in the show notes. Um, Cooking whatever it is that you're making with some butter, a tablespoon or two, or MCT oil or coconut oil, again, a tablespoon or two. And then not being afraid of the yolks of the eggs, having a couple of slices of bacon, maybe having fatty fish like some salmon with your breakfast, or almond butter. Almond butter is a great source, and even macadamia nut butter, or just macadamia nuts in general, are great for those AM fats. At lunchtime, again, not hard to incorporate fat. Avocado is a fantastic source of healthy quality fats as well as vitamins and minerals. And then you can also take advantage of fattier cuts of meat like chicken thighs. Everybody asks why I tend to uh, post pictures on Instagram of chicken thighs instead of chicken breasts because chicken breasts, man, are so dang easy to dry out and then you feel like you're chewing sawdust and after you've chewed 67 times, you've still got this lump of like dry mess in your mouth. Yeah, no, uh uh-uh. Chicken thighs are much more moist because they have more fat. Um, Salmon and beef are also cuts of meat that tend to have more fat, so that's a good way to incorporate it. And extra virgin olive oil as well. So those are a couple of things that you can do to make sure that you are getting those healthy fats at lunch and dinner. Now, a lot of people inevitably go to, well, how much is too much? What if I overdo it? Remember first that fat is very satiating. It is going to fill you up. So pay attention to, am I hungry or am I just bored or used to eating? If you aren't hungry, don't eat, right? And a lot of us just aren't used to asking ourselves that question, and that's okay. It takes time. It takes practice. I know for me, every couple of hours, I would just start thinking about food because it was habit for me. But after a while, I was like, wait a second. I know I'm used to eating two hours later, but am I hungry? And the answer was no. So over time, that becomes a more natural response. As far as how much is too much, though, from like a measurement standpoint, I want to emphasize again that this depends on so many factors. Your activity level, what else you're eating with that meal, as well as what else you're eating throughout the day, how frequently you eat, your goals, your hormone balance, etc. Someone who works out for two hours every day is obviously going to have dramatically different needs from somebody who sits at their desk all day. And somebody who eats protein and carbohydrate snacks every couple of hours is going to have very different needs from somebody who eats a moderate amount of protein and gets their carbs primarily from non-starchy vegetables. So A couple days ago, there was an episode uh, where I interviewed my own personal trainer, and you could see at the end, what we eat is vastly different. So if he was giving the advice on how much is too much, 
his day would look so much different, but he works out for hours a day and his goal is actually to put on weight, to put on muscle. Compared to me, I only work out for about an hour a day, 30 minutes to an hour. And that hour, by the way, includes my rest time. So don't like, oh my gosh, you work out for an hour? My work time is closer to 30 minutes. So think of that. But it looks totally different when my goal is fat loss and I eat two to three big meals a day and he eats six or seven times a day, it's totally different. So the goal here, I would say, as a rule of thumb is if you're not incorporating fat now, start by making sure you're constantly getting a tablespoon with your meals, right? If you're a big snacker, you can have a little bit of fat at your snacks, but measure, monitor, and adjust. Make sure. If you're emailing me questions and don't know if it's too much and you have yet to take your waist and hip circumference and you're not measuring that regularly, that's a problem. You need to be keeping track of what you eat, how much, and when. Your hormones hormonal biofeedback, how hungry you are, what your energy level is like, what your mood is like, how you're sleeping, and that waist and hip circumference. If you feel great and your waist and hip circumference is going down, keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry, you're fine, you're in safe harbor, right? If you feel great but your waist and hip circumference is staying the same or going up, dial it back by just a smidge. There's no science here, you know, just whatever you're doing, do 10 to 20% less of it. Okay, and then continue to monitor for a couple of weeks and adjust. So I hope this was really helpful. If you want some specifics, go check out the show notes at primalpotential.com. And if you're not on the email list yet, definitely get on there. I have a webinar coming up. I don't know when you're listening to this, but based on when it airs, Sunday, the 16th of August, 2015, I will be hosting a live webinar about a one-time opportunity. It is limited to about 50 people that I will be doing for fall fat loss group coaching, group coaching, 90-day coaching. So definitely make sure that if you want the information, I will link to the registration in the show notes page, or you can stay informed if you're on the email list where I also send out workouts and recipes and different kind of ideas about uh, nutrition and things like that. So you can head over to primalpotential.com and jump on that list. Always want to wrap up with what I ate yesterday. Two cups of Bulletproof coffee. Got my fat in the morning because that Bulletproof coffee has the MCT oil and the butter. Then I had a really hard workout after which my trainer instructed me to immediately have my carbohydrate post-workout because he knew I was going to be sore. So I had a burger without the bun and then I had sweet potato chips with it and those were good. I rarely have those. They were so good. Later in the day, I actually did another workout. It was just a 10-minute EMOM every minute on the minute of kettlebell swings. And then for dinner, I had a really simple light dinner of a basic green salad and a piece of salmon that was about four ounces and it was delicious. It was grilled and it was fantastic. I didn't add anything to the salmon, but that salmon in and of itself is a great source of both protein and fat. So I hope this episode was helpful to you. If you've got questions, shoot me an email and let me know. We'll see you in a couple days for another episode. And I actually really hope I see you on the webinar Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time on the 16th of August, 2015. I hope to see you there, but I'll always, always answer your questions, whether you're there or not. Just shoot me an email. Talk to you guys soon. Have a wonderful day.